Hello, everybody. This is Adrian Alrod for The Electables. My friend and colleague, Doug Thornell, is... Where is Doug Thor- Thornell today? I guess he's traveling somewhere. somewhere he's on a plane. Yeah, who knows where he is. Um, but fortunately, we are joined by my very dear friend, former colleague, Adrian Watson, who is the Deputy Communications Director in the War Room, Trump War Room, rather, Director for the DNC. Hi, Adrian. Hi, thanks for having me. Watson. Watson is what I usually call her because my name is Adrian and her name is Adrian. So people call us Watson and Elrod and we call each other Watson and Elrod. We have worked together previously and it's confusing for our coworkers that we're both named Adrian, which is, is why we have to do that. We do, we do. Um, so we are here today at the Democratic National Committee. Again, we've been here, I think, at least once, maybe twice for a podcast. But we are here today because the DNC just announced the 20 candidates who are running for the Democratic primary who have made the debate stage. Um, it's probably not worth going through every single name on that list unless, Adrian, you want to do that. But I think we want to focus a little bit of our um, podcast today on really talking about the criteria that the candidates had to qualify for in order to be on the debate stage and some of the methodology that went into this decision making. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Adrian Watson, who is the ultimate expert on all of these rules. Yeah, so with a, a field as large as the uh, Democratic presidential primary 24 people? field, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. the biggest ever, it's historic, uh, coming up with a threshold that would uh, reflect candidates' position uh, in the uh, in the campaign while giving them the opportunity to grow um, over the course of the campaign was difficult. Uh you know, when you have so many candidates and so many of them are clustered around one or two percent, uh, the the difference between them becomes sort of meaningless uh, statistically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to that end, we explored the idea for a long time, starting two years ago, of having a threshold that um, was in addition to the polling threshold that would give candidates an opportunity to make the debate stage who maybe wouldn't have made it by the traditional means. Um, You know, Elrod, that a lot of ideas were thrown out there. Uh, One of them was maybe the threshold is, uh, you know, whether someone has paid staffers in Mm -hmm. all of the early states Mm -hmm. um, or whether it's how many social media followers someone has, which is another proposal that that we got. Yeah. But you guys settled on the 65,000 unique donors from 20 states as being an accompanying threshold, correct? Exactly. So we started with uh, finding a a number of grassroots donors uh, that we could rely upon to reflect uh, momentum with a candidate in in the grassroots community. Uh, That that was 65,000. We came to it working with Act Blue and others. but the basic rule is that you have to have 65,000 donors. They have to be spread across 20 states. You need at least 200 in each um, in each of the 20 states. And then, uh, you know, you either reach the threshold through that or through the, uh, the polling qualification. Um, and s- some candidates, you know, here we have 14 candidates who made it through both. You know? Right, exactly. So this was an impossible problem. We came up with the best solution we could to solve it. Uh, you can see 20 candidates uh, made the stage, and we had 20 slots. Yep, which is great. It's pretty good. Yeah, it, which is a pretty a, a good problem. First of all, it's a good problem to have when you've got 20 candidates running for president, who have all of whom, in some way, shape, or form, have either qualified from the polling standpoint 
or have raised these sixty-five thousand uh, or d- donations in sixty-five from sixty-five thousand people in, in twenty states, which is pretty incredible. You know, I think I'm actually going to go back on what I said earlier and go through the candidates who actually qualified. Even though any anybody who's listening to this now has probably heard, you know, who qualified ad nauseum all over TV. Um, but the list I have in front of me, um, the qualifiers are Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders. And by the way, this is in no order of, of um, qualification. These are just the people who qualified. Um, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Julian Castro, Tulsi Gabbard, Kirsten Gillibrand, Andrew Yang, Marion Williamson, Jay Inslee, John Hickenlooper, Tim Ryan, Bill de Blasio, Eric Swalwell, John Delaney, and Michael Bennett. So, Adrian, there are um, two candidates who are somewhat well-known who are running for the presidency um, who did not make that list, and that includes Steve Bullock and Seth Moulton. Any concerns? I mean, does the DNC feel, you know, because they're both, you know, prominent somewhat well-known elected officials that they should get a pass to be on the stage regardless of whether or not they met the threshold requirements. I mean, you do have somebody like Marion Williamson who made the debate stage who is not your standard, you know, Democratic elected official. But what is the posture of the DNC on this? Yeah, so our, our North Star has always been to be transparent about debate rules. And so we announced these rules extremely early, earlier than ever before. I think it was like February of this year. And the point was to give everybody a lot of time to reach the threshold so that no one could complain that they, you know, didn't have enough time, it wasn't clear, anything else. Um, you know, so we introduced those rules. Candidates have had a, an enormous amount of time to, to reach them. Um, and, you know, these are two great Democrats. Our, our bench of our party is so deep. Uh, you know, they didn't reach it here. And really, we all know that only one of these candidates is going to make it to the mountaintop. It's going to happen to everyone at some point. Um, and, you know, just because they didn't make this debate, that that doesn't even mean that they can't make the next debate, right? We have, uh, you know, a, a good threshold that's it's the same threshold over a different amount of time here for the July debate. So they would have the option if they want to continue with their campaigns to, you know, ha- have a moment, have a viral moment, build some momentum and, and be there in July. Yep. Which I think makes sense. And I mean, you know, Steve Bullock's campaign maintains or he maintains himself that he didn't get into the race because... Um, he, the Montana legislative session, which only meets every other year, was in session. Uh, Medicaid expansion was on the legislative agenda. So he wanted to make sure that he was still there uh, presiding over the legislature before he decided to run for president. So while I think we respect his deci- decision in that regard, um, you know, you still can't make exceptions for people who don't make the debate stage because if you start making an exception for one person that, oh, well, he didn't get into the race until you know, the legislative session was over and that happened to be in May, then you got to make that exception for everybody else. Exactly. You know, part of the problem here is that the DNC kind of serves as the referee of the debate process. And the minute that you start changing the rules for one, you get asked to change the rules for everybody. Uh, we don't blame people for uh, for talking to us about the rules. Uh, you know, you see campaigns all the time trying to trying to work the ref. But ultimately, uh, the, the minute that we make one uh, exception, a, a lot more exceptions have to happen. So, you know, it, it's been a fair system. It's been a transparent system. These are really good candidates still, and we hope that they, uh, 
you know, keep it up and hopefully we'll see them in the July debate. I like the football references, by the way. Thank you. I've talked to Tom Perez a little too much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) They're good, especially since Adrian's wearing a very cute Tory Burch bright pink shirt. So you don't exactly look like you're talking football. I can do it it all. It works. It works. Exactly. Um, So, Adrian, can you talk a little bit about what the debate is going to look like? I know you've got two nights, two primetime evenings on NBC, MSNBC, Telemundo. Which is huge and has never been negotiated before. Two back-to-back nights that are in primetime on a broadcast network. Do you have any idea what the projected number of viewers will be for those nights? I don't. I think it's going to be huge, but we uh, had a poll come out this week that said that more than half of Americans plan to watch it. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, And tell me a little bit about how you all decide who debates on which, which night. Is there a kid's table? I know in 2016 in the Republican primary, Mike Huckabee and Chris Christie and um, I don't know, Carly Fiorina were common yeah. participants on the kids' table. Is there going to be something like that? And they'd bounce like back that? and forth. Sometimes they would go back. Sometimes they, Rick Santorum, yeah. sometimes they'd make the big, you know, the big people debate, the big kids debate, and sometimes they would be stuck on the kids' table. But we is that going to be something? We're not having a kids' table. We, we don't think it's a very uh, democratic thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are instead doing random selection for both nights. So, uh, you know, all the candidates will be randomly selected. Uh, just there, there is like a small chance that if, if we did pure random selection, that maybe like all the front runners would end up on one night. And so we'd like Joe Biden, Marianne yeah. Williamson, Andrew Yang, Eric Swalwell. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd, a- we'd accidentally end up with, uh, with a JV and a varsity debate without, without planning to. So to, to, um, accommodate for that, we have introduced a system where we will divide the candidates into people polling above 2% and people polling below 2%. uh, And those will be randomly selected and evenly divided between those two nights so that both nights you've got some front runners and you've got some up and comers. That makes sense. And do you have any idea how many candidates have polled above 2%? Eight candidates that have pulled okay. above two percent. Yep. Okay, great. So that basically guarantees that there four of those candidates will be on one night and four on the other. Exactly. Okay, great. If this if this was a lot of uh, you know it was a lot of work and a lot of feedback, then I can't imagine what it'll feel like when the threshold doubles for September and October. Well, you know what? We should talk about that very briefly because you guys did decide to double the threshold um, for the September debate, which takes place, I believe, the ninth and the tenth. Is that correct? Uh, September debates the 12th and the 13th. Okay, so, right, exactly, okay. So that threshold has now been up to 130,000, correct, in terms of donors, donations raised from 20 states. Yes, and you actually have to hit both this time. So you can't get in with one versus the other. You need both, which is, um, it's harder. It's, you know, I think when people say doubling, it sounds like it's this dramatic increase, when in reality this is like the most incremental uh, change that we can have and still have it be a, a meaningful increase. Um, you know, it's it's something that we uh, expect will, uh, you know, have some impact on the field. We still have made room to have two nights of, of primetime coverage again. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, everybody complained that the first debate was, uh, the first threshold was uh, too high to reach and that we weren't going to get enough candidates. And as you know, we have 20. Um, so, you know, we think a lot of candidates are going to be able to reach it, actually, and that we uh, will probably be in two nights still. 
Well, and I think I'm glad you raised that because that certainly doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're only going to have, you know, five candidates who are on the debate stage. In fact, I anticipate there will be more. And you still have two nights reserved so that if more than 10 candidates qualify, you will have two nights to to do the debate. Yeah. And, you know, one cool thing to watch is going to be who has a breakout moment in the June and the July debates, right? Because if if someone has that big moment and they happen, you know, every, every cycle – then it's going to be exciting to see who has, you know, a surge following the debates and probably squarely lands in the September and October debates that maybe didn't didn't foresee it coming. It's been so good to see you today, and it's been fun to have you here while we, uh, you know, recover from yesterday's drama. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was an exciting day, and, you know, there's so much more to come, so we're excited. Well, thank you so much, and... Um For Doug Thornell, my partner in crime, as he always calls me, and me, myself. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening to The Electables, and we hope uh, you'll tune in next week. Thanks. Thanks.